was going to move that, but I think it makes any difference whether I do or not. But um, anyway, we're we're happy to uh, to be able to be back tonight, and um, we'll uh, get started in a minute. Um, if you have your Bibles uh, tonight, I'd like to just start and uh, ask you to turn to Ma- uh, Isaiah. Uh, chapter 25 for, for a minute. And if you look with me in the book of Isaiah, chapter 25, um, In, in the coming kingdom of the Lord, there's going to be um, a great many things that will occur that will please Him and His people. And as I mentioned um, Sunday morning in the service here with uh, the folks at Community, uh, that John the Revelator saw the new Jerusalem and it was amazing and then Paul the apostle was caught up into the third heaven and heard words that were unspeakable and he couldn't repeat and in Luke 24 um, the disciples were walking with the Lord Jesus and he opened the scriptures to them and They said one to the other, uh, did not our heart burn within us when he opened the scriptures to us? So then you have an eye and an ear and a heart. And the Bible tells us in both Isaiah and in Corinthians that eye hath not seen nor ear heard neither has it entered into the heart of man the things which the Lord has prepared for those who love him. And I know it says the Spirit revealeth the deep things of the Lord, but the things that the Lord's prepared is like Matthew 25 when the Lord tells that group of people, Enter thou into the kingdom prepared before the foundation of the, of the earth. So the kingdom is going to be a great thing. It's going to be an unimaginable thing. And there'll be a lot of happiness and a lot of joy uh, when the Lord Jesus comes back to rule and reign. And my heart is, and the reason that I want to come and be with you, is that each one of you will share with him in that time. But there's a price to pay, and I hope that uh, you understand that. In Isaiah chapter 25, I want to read just a couple of of verses here, and if you'll look with me in verse 6, and we're talking about the feast of the kingdom, and I'm going to try to narrow it down to just uh, one feast, and I hope that that will be... Uh, sufficient for you. And if it's not, after um, Arlen finishes, I'll come back and, and do it again. You know, just uh, 
In Isaiah chapter 25 and verse 6, the scriptures tell us, And in this mountain shall the Lord of hosts make unto all people a feast of rich things. And I know it says fat things, but it's, it's, uh, it's rich things. A feast of wines on the lees, of fat things full of marrow, of wines on the lees, well refined. And he will destroy in this mountain the face of the covering cast over all people and the veil that is spread over all nations. This is going to be a great time. And you know that in the tribulation period, the scriptures tell us in Second Thessalonians that because people have refused to believe to righteousness, that the Lord will allow them to believe a lie. And today, uh, the scriptures tell us uh, that Satan has blinded the minds of many, uh, that they just can't understand or can't see the truths. And I was going to mention this the other night. They may not be able to see, they may not be able to understand, but they can smell. And that's why your fragrance is so important uh, to them. But this is just one of the places, and if you'll turn with me to the book of Zechariah, we'll look at another little instance here in Zechariah chapter 8 and chapter 9. In Zechariah chapter 8, if you look into the middle of the chapter, the last part in verse 19, you'll see, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the fast of the fourth month, the fast of the fifth, the fast of the seventh, and the fast of the tenth shall be to the house of Judah joy and gladness and cheerful feast. Therefore, love the truth and peace. And he mentions such things again. If you look over in uh, uh, verse 9 of chapter 9, and I want to mention something in, in verse 9, uh, if you'll allow me to uh, uh, deviate for just a minute. <clears throat> in verse 9 of, of Zechariah chapter 9, he says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just, having salvation lowly, and riding upon an ass, and upon a colt, the foal of an ass. Why do you think he did that? Here is the king of all the ages. And he's riding on an ass. And I know that a lot of modern scholars say that an ass was uh, uh, one of the elite means of transportation. But I'm not sure that's true because an ass in these 
Exodus 13 was an accursed animal. So then why would Jesus do that? And what terrible uh, event do we have in regards to this? And this, this literally happened in, in the Gospels. Jesus rode an ass into um, the city of Jerusalem. If you read carefully, like in Mark chapter 11, you'll see that this ass that he rode on was untamed. Never a man had been able to tame or had tamed that ass. But if you make a little comparison here, and you go back to Genesis chapter 16, you'll see that the Lord tells us in his word there that Ishmael shall be a wild man, but literally that says he'll be a wild ass. And if you associate his descendants that we know today, does this mean that these descendants will never be tamed until Christ comes as king? We think we're going to... We're playing with fire when we're dealing with the people that we're dealing with and denying the people that we should be supporting. Uh, That's just a little personal thought. However, it is true. Uh, So so remember that. And and so forth and all we're going to... And I I want to bring you, if you will, to... um, to a place, and I'm going to be real scattered because my mind is going in every which way direction and so forth as to what to talk to you about tonight. But I want to talk about the greatest feast that the Lord has for us. And if you turn back to Leviticus chapter 23, I'll I'll, I'll try to be uh, I'll try to mention some things that you can enjoy and. If I don't, well, uh, you can endure it. Look with me to Leviticus chapter 23 for a minute in the the last part, beginning in verse 33. Let me me read this to you, and we'll, we'll go from there. In Leviticus 23, the Lord spoke to Moses, and he said, Speak to the children of Israel saying, The fifteenth day of this seventh month shall be the Feast of Tabernacles for seven days unto the Lord. On the first day shall be a holy assembly or convocation, and you're to do no servile work. Seven days you shall offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. And on the eighth day shall also be a holy assembly or convocation to you, and you shall offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord. It's a solemn assembly, and you shall do no work, servile work therein. These are the feast of the Lord, which you shall proclaim 
to be holy convocations to offer an offering made by fire to the Lord, a burnt offering and a meat offering, a sacrifice and drink offerings, everything upon this day. Beside the Sabbaths of the Lord and beside your gifts and beside all your vows and beside all your free will offerings which you give to the Lord. On the fifteenth day of the seventh month, when you have gathered in the fruit of the land, you'll keep a feast to the Lord seven days. The first day will be a Sabbath, the eighth day will be a Sabbath, and you'll take of the first day the bogs of goodly trees, branches of palm trees, bogs of thick trees, and willows of the brook, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God seven days. And you shall keep it a feast to the Lord seven days in the year, and it'll be a statute forever in your generations, and you shall celebrate it in the seventh month. And you shall dwell in booths seven days. All that are Israelites born shall dwell in booths, that your generations may know that I made the children of Israel to dwell in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. And Moses told the people all of this. Now, the first significance of this is that you'll see this is the seventh feast. Through the year, the Lord prescribed seven of these feasts. This is the last. It's the seventh. It was to occur uh, in the seventh month, and it was to last seven days. So what you have is the seventh feast, the seventh month, and seven days. That's three sevens. This is in stark contrast to the 666 that Satan will attempt to uh, control the world by. Nothing will deter God in his plan. Nothing. No one. There are no accidents. Uh, The Lord will prevail in everything. Now, it's interesting to notice that the Lord wanted them to dwell in booths, uh, just little shacks, little... Uh, have any of you been to a brush arbor? Do you all know what a brush arbor is? Golly. You know, um, that's where you go to these meetings And uh, when you leave, you are deeply impressed with bug bites or benchmarks or uh, other things. But they were to do this, and it was to be a reminder of what the Lord had done for them. Now, it's interesting if you read in in Exodus chapter 12 that when the children of Israel left Egypt, they went from Ramesses to a place called Sukkoth. 
And Sukkoth has the Hebrew meaning of booths. The first thing that the Lord wanted the Israelites to know, he had delivered them from the land of Egypt and he wanted to put them in the land of his promise, which is a type of the kingdom rule of the Lord Jesus. Now, this feast was of great importance. And if you, um, if you look in Second Chronicles, uh, turn there for a minute, if you will. Second Chronicles, I think, chapter 4. If you look in Second Chronicles chapter four, I think that's what I want to get. I'm trying to uh, to look. I, I, I'm trying to act like someone else. Like, uh, well, we'll get back to that later. Uh, just uh, uh, where was I? Uh, it's okay. Am I doing a good job? <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, Anyway, look, look with me for a minute to Second um, Chronicles, and I'll show you what I want you to see. I'm trying, I want you to look to Nehemiah chapter 8 also, uh, so that's what I'm trying to find. And my fingers don't work too well tonight. In... Um, it's 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 Second Chronicles chapter eight. If you're in four, well, just turn over a few pages and you'll be there. If you look in Second Chronicles eight and verse thirteen, you will see that um, Solomon offered great burnt offerings to the Lord uh, at a certain rate every day and. In verse 13, they're keeping these feasts. And in the last part of verse 13, you'll see the Feast of Unleavened Bread and the Feast of Weeks and in the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, this is in Solomon's day. Now, if, if you'll turn over to... Neo, hold your hand here and turn over to Nehemiah chapter 8... And I'll just read this to you. You don't have to turn if you if you don't want to. But if you read if you read in Nehemiah chapter eight and verse seventeen, all the congregation after they had come back from the captivity, uh, they made booths and sat under the booths. For since the days of Joshua, the son of Nun, unto that day. Had not the children of Israel done so, and there was very great gladness. Now you see, this is where some say that the Bible makes mistakes. It really don't. 
But it says in Solomon's day that he offered offerings in in the Feast of Tabernacles. In Nehemiah, years and years later, it says that they came back and they celebrated this feast and they had not done that since the days of Joshua. And the problem is, the problem is, is that they didn't dwell in booths in Solomon's day. And you see, this is, this is the lack of an obedience to the Lord uh, that is sufficient to lead to a downfall. But the Feast of Tabernacles is a great feast, and I've spent enough time trying to tell you that. Now, I want you to um, turn with me, if you will, to the book of Zechariah, chapter 14. We'll try to hurry up and get on with our lesson. Uh, Zechariah, chapter 14. This feast will be reinstituted. And if you look in Zechariah 14, and one of my favorite things about Zechariah 14 is that people, a lot of people, you'd be surprised at the people that will come to me and say, like in verse 4, the Lord's feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives. And many people have asked me, Preacher, if he's going to come back riding on a white horse, how is he going to... let his feet touch the Mount of Olives. And I say, that's very hard. He'll get off. <laughs> but you'd be surprised at the technological minds that ask you questions like that. But if you look with me, um, if you look with me down to verse 16... I want to come back here in a minute, but in verse 16 of Zechariah 14, And it shall come to pass that everyone that is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem shall even go up from year to year to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. You know... Why would you think that the Lord would make a calendar of events and he leaves so much time out of it? The Passover feast began in the first month. The Feast of Tabernacles began in the seventh month. And this was to be observed, this, this was all. And you know that in each of these feasts, uh, there were significant meanings of the death of the Lamb, the resurrection and the coming of the Holy Spirit, and so forth. So why would the Lord do that? Well, if you equate the number of months that are left he would tell you that it would be five months from seven back to one. 
And five in the scripture has to do with God's grace. And it would be in some sense that the Lord says, I've given you all of this material to work with, and now I want you to work and live by grace till it comes again and keep repeating this. You, you know, Brother Wilson used to say to me, Royce, the best method of teaching is repetition. Now, there's, there's some significance to this five months. In the days that we live, there are men who seek to turn the grace of God into lasciviousness. Do you know how God's going to punish them? Let me read this to you, and I don't want you to turn, but um, if you'll remember during the time of the Lord's wrath upon this earth, you'll see that the Lord is going to sound the fifth angel And it was commanded that they should not hurt the grass nor any green thing. And it was given that they should not kill them, but that they should be tormented five months. That's the awesome result of disobeying the Lord's calendar and rejecting his grace. And, you know, sometimes people say uh, to me in the next verse, it says, In those days shall men seek death and shall not find it. They'll desire to die, and death shall flee from them. Well, do you believe that? Absolutely. But at any rate, that, that's, that's part of the significance of the five months, and, and we won't... Uh, Keep, keep on going into that. But you'll see that back in Zechariah, it'll be that whosoever will not come up of all the nations of the earth to Jerusalem to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, even upon them shall be no rain. And if the family of Egypt go not up and come not that have no, that have no rain, there shall be the plague wherewith the Lord will smite the heathen that come not up to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, all of that's significant, and it's really wonderful, but I want you to look with me further back for a few pages uh, into the book of Ezekiel for a minute, and this is really what I want to try to talk to you about. In the book of Ezekiel... If you look in the book of Ezekiel, and I'm just going to read this to you, I want to start in the the 40th chapter. But in chapter 45 of the book of Ezekiel, in the seventh month, in the fifteenth day of the month, shall he do the like in the feast of the seven days, 
according to the sin offering, according to the burnt offering. And this is the Feast of Tabernacles. It'll be observed during the millennial reign of the Lord Jesus. Now I want to try, I want to try to, um, to tell you some things. In Ezekiel chapter 40 through chapter 48, he's describing the millennial temple area. It'll be a great big area if you're a country person. If not, it'll be large. I have a little, um, a little copy here of, uh, of an outline of what this area will look like. And there's just a few of these sheets over here. If you'd like one, you can come get them. Um, they're $25 a piece. So... Uh, <laughs> Um, they are helpful. They're really helpful. And uh, there are differences of opinion in regards to what this millennial area, uh, the size of this millennial area, uh, and I've given you the picture of the one that I agree with. So um, in, in in this time... In this time, you'll see that there'll be a 50-square-mile area of this, of this area where the Feast of Tabernacles will be kept. And I know there are other really good men who don't think that it'll be that large. But um, just this is a, good, a really good outline of of the temple area and this will be where the feast of tabernacles occurs now if you will look with me for a minute to ezekiel 40 you'll see that the lord took ezekiel to a very high mountain do you remember what we read to you about in isaiah 25 6 it was on this mountain You remember where Jesus took the three apostles to a high mountain and he showed them. And sometimes people make fun of Peter when he says, Lord, do you want us to make tabernacles for you? He was thinking about the time when the Lord would come in his kingdom. And, you know, Peter... People are always criticizing Peter, but he did put the Lord first when he said that. That's more than a lot of believers do. And then, you know, they always stepped. He nearly drowned. He didn't nearly drown. And you say, well, look, he failed. He was awful. You know, he was the only one that stepped out. So don't be so hard on Peter. Uh, he, he's a pretty good fellow. However, I would like to talk to him when I get to him. <laughs> Look with me in regards to this. What Ezekiel sees here in, in Ezekiel chapter 40, uh, he sees 
as it were, uh, in, in one sense, a city, in verse 2, the frame of a city. And this is where Jerusalem will be. This is the earthly Jerusalem. And then you'll notice that he begins with this man in verse 5 who has a measuring reed, and he begins to use this phrase, uh, the cubics. And I'd like to uh, give you a little thought, or I'd like to give you my impression of that. You know, Arlen mentioned this uh, the other night about a cubic was from the elbow to the end of this finger. And, and you know, that's generally two. And then Arlen said, like, you know, uh, whose, whose elbow and whose finger was that? Well, let me, uh, and I'm not as good as Arlen, and, and uh, I am good, but I'm just not as smart as he is. But at any rate, let, let me offer you a suggestion, and let me point this out to you. That's a, that's a body measurement. Now let me read you a verse of Scripture. In the book of um, Hebrews, the Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 10, when the Lord, when Paul's talking about the Lord, he says in Hebrews 10, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared me. And he's talking about the Lord Jesus. His body's perfect. And the measurements in regards to like the ark, the tabernacle, the temple, the millennial area, it's measurements that have been designated from heaven in accordance to the Lord Jesus' body. It'll always be the same. Now, remember this. The word cubic is a Latin word which means elbow or from which we get our word elbow. And then you have the arm, and then you have the finger. Well, what is the finger of God? David said, When I consider the heavens, which are the work of your finger, it's his creation. But creation has fallen. So all we have is the arm. But then the prophet Isaiah says, To whom hath the arm of the Lord been revealed? And he describes in Isaiah 53 the Lord's sufferings. And what the cubic represents is that 
God is trying to restore man from the law that he's broken, which was written by the finger of God. He's trying to restore the creation which has fallen because of the sin of man. And he did that through his, or he's going to do it finally, through his arm, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that will make the complete cubic. That's paleology. You don't have to believe that at all. But just just think about it for a minute. And I'm kind of running out of time, so um, I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna hurry along here for just a minute. But there are numerous references in Ezekiel forty through Ezekiel forty-eight in regards to different things that will occur here. I want to call your attention to something that's really dear to me. I hope it will be to you. What do you think the city of Jerusalem will look like in this millennial setting with these feasts and this joy and gladness that's, that's occurring? Did you know that in conjunction with the deliverance from Egypt in Isaiah 4, the Bible says that there'll be a fire over uh, the dwelling places and a cloud? And that'll be their heating and cooling system. It'll be a reminder of the fact that the Lord has delivered them. It'll be called the city of truth. But what would you imagine if you could get a glimpse today, just a little insight into what you think the millennial kingdom will be like, what would you imagine? What if I told you Let me, let me read this to you. If I were to tell you where to go, you might not believe this. But I'm going to read to you from the book of Zechariah, chapter 8. Look in verse 3. And in Zechariah, chapter 8, and verse 3, Thus saith the Lord, I am returned to Zion, and will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem, and Jerusalem shall be called a city of truth, and the mountain of the Lord of hosts, the holy mountain. Look in verse 5. And I know verse 4 is there, but look in verse 5. And the streets of the city of that millennial city shall be full of boys and girls playing in the streets. It's boys and girls. And what they're doing is they're playing. Can you imagine? The streets will be full 
of boys and girls playing. Go by a school playground till one of them gets mad at the other and watch them play. Well, why is that significant? Boys and girls playing. Have you ever thought about what's happening to boys and girls today? I've been at the hospital many times when little boys and little girls would come in with battered, beaten, cigarette burns, slashes, brain injuries. And I thought about the monsters that have raped them and destroyed them. And the millennial kingdom is about one day when God Almighty will show his precious care for these little kids. America thinks nothing of killing millions, but these little boys and girls will be playing in the street. Where will all these little boys and girls come from? Why? I'm not going to go into what I think. But I want you to see in Isaiah chapter 11, and I know I... I've took enough of your time, but in Isaiah chapter 11, let me read this to you. The scriptures tell us that the cow and the bear will feed their young ones and they'll lay down and the sucking child shall play on the hole of the ass. But deadly serpent, do you know what that means? That the child is going to be victorious over the devil, over the serpent. All of these little boys and girls, and they'll be playing. And didn't Jesus tell us that? Except ye be converted and become as a little child, you won't enter into the kingdom. The kingdom rule of the Lord Jesus will be our finest hour. Don't miss it. Nellen, do you mind if I do something personal right now, just uh, a little bit? Uh, I want to say that I really appreciate your patience with me, and um, I'm thankful. And there are three men here that I want to mention. And these men are Charlie Thurman, Lewis Shuttle and Arlen Chitwood. And I've known these men for many, many years. And we knew one another because of Dr. A.E. Wilson. And gentlemen, 
I just wanted to thank you for the opportunity to be with you once again. And this may be our last conference. I don't know that. But it could be. And I want you to know how much I appreciate the help and the influence that you've been to us. And I'm greatly humbled for your friendship. And I trust God will continue to bless you richly. And if we're not together anymore, if we apply Arlen's 12-hour trip into space and and back, I'll see you all in about 20 minutes, okay? <laughs> Thank each one of you men, and God bless you. And I pray that all your roads will rise up to meet you and that the wind will always be at your back and that the sun will shine warmly on your faces and that the rain will fall softly on all your fields. And until we meet again, that the good Lord will hold you in the palm of his hand. Thank you. Thank you, Alan. I'm sorry. I'm sorry for being so scattered.